It's been about a year since we had the opportunity to minister to you and I've been looking forward to this for quite some time and there's a buzz going on. Does it have anything to do with me? Am I doing... Should I move? I know it's springtime and I think there's a bee in here. But it's been about a year. We're glad to be back and to have this opportunity. Thank you, Kurt, for the invitation. It's Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Kurt uh, and I were talking on the phone a while back. and It's my custom when given the opportunity to speak as a guest to ask the host pastor, well, what would you like for me to talk about? Give me a topic. Give me a text. And being the gracious man that he is, he gave me two choices. He said, well, it's going to be Pentecost Sunday, so maybe you'd like to talk about something Pentecostal. And since I are a Pentecostal, I thought, that's, that's not a possibility. And then he said, and also, in the series that we're currently in, this mashup of uh, Luke and 1 Corinthians, he said, my next scheduled message is on circumcision. Would you like to speak on that? So I thought about that and prayed about it for about 10 seconds. And I chose Pentecost. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about today. The birthday of the Church of Jesus Christ. You know, we're all on a spiritual journey. Each and every person in this room, regardless of our disposition about Jesus Christ, we are each one in our own way on a spiritual journey and to my mind that journey ultimately and for all of us regardless of our disposition right now is going to end at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ that is our common journey that is where we are going and God has given us an indwelling guide to help us in that journey who Jesus called the comforter Jesus coined the term paraclete in the Greek, comforter, to describe the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. The word literally means one who has been called alongside to help us. And it is the responsibility, the assignment, the charge of the third member of the Godhead to help the people of Jesus Christ learn how to glorify his name and to obey his word and to lead us through our life. There are many caricatures of the Holy Spirit that are alive and well in the body of Christ. I think that a lot of the talk about the Holy Spirit today uh, trivializes his full assignment and work. He, he's not just here to get people to put their hands in the air or something like that. He's here to glorify the living God through the lives of people. Can you say amen to that? And that's our opportunity. That's our challenge. And it's a process. It's a journey. Uh, there's things to learn. There's things to lose. There's a lot that goes on in this process of allowing Jesus Christ to literally be the Lord of our life. I probably am oversimplifying, but you know, there's a lot of people who believe in Jesus and thank God for that. But there's maybe a few less people who actually take that belief into a loving relationship with him to become a lover of Jesus. And maybe there's even a few less, but certainly going to spend eternity with everyone else that would be a person who you might call a follower of Jesus. And the road is less traveled for those who become the disciples of Jesus. Because you see, the definition of the word disciple is an obedient person. So now we're getting into this refined, rarefied air of Christianity where people are actually doing what Jesus told us to do. And I think beyond that, there's a, there's a realm of intimacy with Jesus Christ that he desires for people to know and to experience that uh, doesn't necessarily turn a person into a spooky person, doesn't turn a person into a glassy-eyed religious person, but it turns a person into a person who understands the heart of God to a greater degree than perhaps they ever thought that they could. I think of what the Bible says about Moses. 
The Bible says that the difference between Moses and all of the people of Israel is that the people of Israel were content to know the acts of God. Well, Moses contended to understand the ways of God. Someone has put it in a different way. So many of us today are content to seek the hands of God in all of the blessing that comes from him. But then there are those who want to seek his face, like the songs that we were singing today, where we actually ask the Lord the question, why do you do what you do the way that you do it? And what is in your heart for me? And so this is the journey, and I just kind of summarize that in opening this morning to describe what I believe to be the primary work of the Holy Spirit who is celebrated on a day like Pentecost because that, when he, that is when he was poured out upon us by Jesus Christ as he promised. You want me to use something else? I'd like to get rid of the buzz. Okay. Here we go. Now, do need to start over or are we okay? <laughs> I don't want to start over. <laughs> but what was I saying when you interrupted me? See, I'm getting older. I, I, I don't have the same memory. What was I saying? Seeking the hands of God rather than the face of God. That, that this is the process and the Holy Spirit who we're celebrating here on Pentecost and in this series of messages that your pastor is taking you through has been given to us by Jesus Christ to lead us through this process. So don't trivialize the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit is to be engaged in our lives every day of our life because he's with us. What did the apostles say? Don't you realize? I love the candor of this scripture. Don't you understand? Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit lives in you. And wherever we are going, whatever we are doing, he is there, he is present, and he is available to help us. Another beautiful way that it's stated in the New Testament is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead rests and abides, lives in us. And that power is the power, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I would like to speak to you this morning for a little while on the sane, sensitive, sound interpretation and understanding of what we mean when we use the word Pentecost. So uh, here we go. So today is Pentecost Sunday, and here's the definition. Let me read it to you. Pentecost is the 50th day, which is literally what the word Pentecost means is 50. It is the 50th day. It is the Greek name for the Feast of Weeks, a prominent feast in the calendar of ancient Israel, celebrating the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. It is also a feast commemorating the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the followers of Jesus Christ and the birth of his church. So the same day in Jerusalem that the Jews were celebrating the gift of the law of Moses, the church was being born to celebrate the gift of the grace given to us by Jesus Christ that your worship leader was referring to earlier today that there's nothing we can do to improve ourselves. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's no number of rules that we can obey that will assure us of what we seek in our hearts, mutually called salvation. But it is only by faith that we can receive. It is by grace that we receive this gift from God. So what a contrast of the celebration going on outside the upper room and what was occurring right in the middle of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. That's what it means. 50 days after Passover. And a lot of the people that would travel from all over the world to celebrate the Passover as pilgrims would stay that extra 50 days. How would you like to have a 50-day vacation? Whoa! But I mean, if you're going to travel 
for six months to get to Jerusalem, you might as well stay a few days, you know what I mean? Because it wasn't exactly like they were jetting in for Passover. But anyway, customarily, the pilgrims stayed in Jerusalem for a period of 50 days and uh, celebrated the Feast of Weeks, and then they went home. And that explains why there were all of these people that are drawn into the narrative of the Pentecost story that heard these people speaking in tongues that day in their own languages because the city was filled with pilgrims. And so literally, if you've ever wondered where the term came from, it didn't come from, you know, Azusa Street Revival. It didn't come from um, the charismatic renewal. This word uh, is, a Jew, is a Greek word to describe a Jewish feast which was the Feast of Weeks. So I just wanted to get that taken care of. So what I need to tell you this morning is happy birthday. We're celebrating the birth of the, of the Church of Jesus Christ this morning. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, happy birthday. Yeah, we celebrate Jesus' birthday on Christmas. Today's our birthday. Yeah, give yourself a hand. 2,000 years old. Well, and you're looking pretty good for 2,000. But the Bible says that the Lord is returning for a church without spot or wrinkle. And 2,000-year-old people have a lot of spots and wrinkles. So the Lord's working on all of us. Amen? Yeah, happy birthday. Well, I want to uh, talk a little bit about a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples that referenced the day of Pentecost. And in doing this, ask ourselves the question, what are we doing with this incredibly strategic conversation that Jesus had with his disciples just before he returned to heaven. The scriptures tell us that the disciples, the, the apostles, I should say, the intimate circle of followers of Jesus met with him outside the city of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Uh, uh, and it was about 40 days after his resurrection. So it's still 10 or 12 days until Pentecost. And there he had this conversation that we're going to be referencing, referencing this morning. And then he was caught up into heaven. That must have freaked them out. Can you imagine what that would have been like to be standing there talking to Jesus and all of a sudden he's floating up into the sky? I mean, that would have just blown my mind. But we just kind of read it and say, well, that's just the way it is, you know. But I mean, these guys probably had close to a heart attack when this happened. What do you think? You know, take these stories out of just like, oh, they're just legends or myths, and think about what it would be like to be living through these miracles that were taking place. And so Jesus was caught up into heaven, but just before he, he went, these are the things that he said. Look at this. I'm going to turn my back on you and read these things, if you'll excuse me, please. First of all, in this conversation, Jesus said, in my... Oh, excuse me, I'm wrong. This slide is not part of that conversation. This is just the introductory verses to the book of, of Acts that kind of references. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And notice that operative word, began. Because this is the bridge into the book of Acts. You know, of course, Luke was written, Acts was written by Luke, just like the Gospel of Luke that you're studying. And notice that, that the word began suggests that Jesus wasn't finished yet. But now he is going to multiply his ministry, multiply his work in the lives of just common, ordinary, peanut butter jar people like you and me. And he is going to do that by the indwelling power of who? The Holy Spirit. And so he just, this is just the beginning. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, which I've been referring to, after, and here's my operative term, giving instructions. I'd like to talk about the instructions that Jesus gave his disciples in this final conversation on the Mount of Olives. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Okay, here we go. So here's the instructions of Jesus in the conversation that they had. Number one, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the, 
the paraclete, what I've been talking to you about. Read John chapter 17. Jesus prophesies powerfully about the ministry that the Holy Spirit was going to have in people's lives. It's one of the most powerful prophetic passages of Scripture. Jesus prophesied, and he only prophesied about two things. He prophesied about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied about his return. And everything that he prophesied about the ministry of the Holy Spirit has certainly come true in the contemporary church. And you can believe that everything that he prophesied about his return is going to come true as well. Amen? Jesus was a true Hebrew prophet. And so he said, don't leave home without it. Have you ever heard that term before? Don't leave home without it. I mean, I mean I'm glad you're excited. I'm glad you want to change the world. You know, I'm, I've had three years at my, you've been three years at my Bible college. You know, you all have your diplomas now. And you're ready to change the world. But don't leave town without him. By the way, don't ever refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Because he's not a beverage. He is a third member of the Godhead. Don't leave town without him. Because he knew that no matter how enthused they were, no matter how informed they were, no matter how excited they were, if they attempted to do the work that he had called them to do, which essentially was to change the entire civilized world, that they wouldn't have a prayer. They wouldn't have a chance if they took that on without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And that may be a lesson to you and to me. Don't take on another day of your life thinking that you can do that on your own or that you can do that based on a story that you heard or that you can do that because you happen to be particularly encouraged or excited today. No, we are going to prove successful in overcoming tomorrow, Monday, in our lives, whatever that day holds, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? Don't leave home without him. Well, of course, that's impossible, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Don't leave home without acknowledging the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And say, Lord, by the, by the very promise of your presence with me, today I'm open for business. I'm open for business. How can I be a part of what you are doing in the earth today? And you can make that, you can pray that kind of a prayer. You can make that kind of a statement when you understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is present within you, whether you happen to feel like it or not. So this is the first thing that he said. We're looking at the instructions of Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem without receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit in your life. All right, let's look at the next element in this conversation. Jesus also said in this very same conversation in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And of course, you've all heard it preached and taught that that word power there is the word dunamis, which is the word we get in English dynamite from. So it's something significant. You know, it's not just a nudge. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and, and you will be my witnesses. Now that word witness is also a very common word in stained glass language. We use that word a lot around church buildings. Don't use it much anywhere else. But it's an interesting word because the root meaning of that word in Greek is to be a martyr. It means that you're going to give up something. I don't know that the Lord will require the physical life of an individual who becomes a witness, but it is going to mean that we are definitely going to be exiting our comfort zone. Witness is not comfortable. It is not convenient. It is intentional, it is sacrificial, and it is risky. The men that he said that to originally, the 12 apostles, all but one of them, gave their lives for their witness. They died as martyrs. I don't think when they first heard Jesus use that word that day that they understood what the implications were, but that's exactly what happened. 
So here are these instructions that you're going to be, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that, you're going to be witnesses in ever-widening, expanding, developing spheres of influence. It's going to start here in Jerusalem, and then it's going to move out to all Judea and into Samaria, and finally into the, to the ends of the earth. It's like dropping a, a, a pebble in a pond. And did you know that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 actually is a kind of a table of contents of the book of Acts? As you're studying the book of Acts, basically it's broken into four unequal sections. One about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. One about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Judea, which was the province or the state in which Jerusalem was located. The third section of the book of Acts is about the gospel message going to Samaria, which was the adjacent um, segment of that Roman province that was an area of people who lived at great enmity with the Jewish people. They were Jewish, but they were considered to be bogus Jews by the true Jews because they had intermarried. And there was tremendous racial prejudice that existed and religious prejudice that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And then, of course, we have a huge section of the book of Acts, which is about the gospel primarily going through the ministry of who? The Apostle Paul to the ends of the earth, at least the known civilized world of the time, the Roman Empire. So it's interesting that Acts 1-8 not only challenges us to allow our influence to expand as a people of God, but it, it serves as a kind of a table of contents of a reading of the entire book. And so you're, you're going to move out with this message. I, I could talk all morning on that one scripture, but I'm just going to move on here. I love that passage of scripture. And here's the third element of the conversation. Uh, this is over in Matthew. We'll, we call it the Great Commission. You ever heard of that? And by the way, it's the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. <laughs> it isn't a multiple choice quiz. And here's what he said. What happened? What did I do? There we go. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you understand the implications of that statement? Jesus had come back and taken everything back that had been stolen from him by Satan himself. He had taken the ultimate weapon of hell and sin, which was death itself, and threw it back in the face of the one who thought that he was going to defeat him. All authority has been regathered. That's what I came to do. I've got it all back now. And then he stood there and looked at a group of tax collectors and fishermen and said, I'm giving it to you again. Just like I gave it to Adam in the first place and he blew it out his ears. But now the second Adam has come and got it all back and I'm going to give you another shot at what you do with the authority and power of God. Isn't that amazing? that he'd trust us over and over and over again. And so he said, all authority is mine, and now I'm giving it to you, so go in my name. And his name is the badge of our authority. That's why I like to use the name of Jesus a lot. I prefer actually not to call Jesus Christ. I don't care if people do, but I like to call him Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And I'm going to tell you, when you speak the name of Jesus with authority, with understanding, you are bringing the power of his presence to bear in that situation in which you speak his name. Use the name of Jesus. Teach your children to use the name of Jesus. It's not a magic rabbit's foot but it is the badge of authority that he has given us to use. So go in my name. Therefore, go and make disciples. Here's, here's the instructions. Make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Turn them into Trinitarians. 
Help them to understand that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All one, all equal, but with unique expressions of the grace and the power of God. The great mystery. Make disciples. You say, let's make disciples. Uh, I don't, sounds complicated. How many of you have ever uh, trained somebody to do your job at work? Anybody ever had an apprentice? Everybody, anybody ever mentored anybody? There's so many different terms we use today to describe passing it on. Well, Jesus used this word making disciples. I realize it's kind of an old word, but it's a good word. And the best definition I've ever heard of the word disciple is to teach somebody to do what you do, basically the same way that you do it. Can you say that? Can you say it five times backwards? Teach somebody to do what you do, basically the same way that you do it. And we can all do that. In fact, we are all doing that right now. It's just a question of what are we teaching people to do and how are we teaching them to do it. And Jesus said, I'd like you to teach people to be followers of me just like you become a follower of me. Because you notice the scripture says, teach them to obey. The essence of discipleship is obeying. Not just believing, not just worshiping, not just attending, but taking the big leap and actually obeying, which is something that is impossible for us to do without faith and without the help of the Holy Spirit. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he throws in a promise, and what a promise it is. In fact, would you read that out loud with me? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you feel that way this morning? We tend to feel that way a little bit more when we're at church. Could you feel that way later this afternoon, middle next week? When you go back and face your current crisis? I will never leave you, he says. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, whether you feel like it or not. And by the way, whether you believe it or not. Because when I make a promise, the Lord says, I keep my promise. And I will never forsake you. You may forsake me, but I will never forsake you. What a promise. And one that we need to live in every moment of our life because every nerve ending in my body sometimes likes to say, that's not true. So we can listen to our nerves or we can listen to our emotions, or we can listen to liars, or we can let circumstances overpower us, or we can believe God's word. I will never leave you. I don't usually do this, but I'm just trying to get some of you to wake up. Would you say to the person next to you, God will never leave us? Yeah. And you know, some of you who just said that to each other are in a situation together where sometimes you feel very alone, very forgotten very overwhelmed. And you may have just said to your husband or your wife about the thing that you're walking through together right now. God's with us in this. The preacher already said that when we, when we speak the name of Jesus into a situation, we speak the power of his presence into that situation. And he will never leave us. I don't care what's coming unglued in your life right now. He's there. And by the way, sometimes God does the best work that he ever does in the dark. He does it when you don't even realize it's going on because he never leaves. We're the ones that seem to vacate this situation sometimes. God help us with this. So here's more of, this, of these instructions that came with the day of Pentecost. We celebrate Pentecost, but Pentecost was a day to be empowered to obey. Do you hear me? It was a day 
of giving people the power to obey the instructions that Jesus gave us. And then we have one other verse of scripture that was a part of this same conversation on the Mount of Olives. And this one comes out of the Gospel of Mark. So you have Mark, you have Acts, you have Matthew. All together they give us the picture of what Jesus was laying out, that the, the marching orders that he was giving the 12 apostles as he, just before he went back up into heaven. And here he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now that word preach has an interesting implication. For many of us, we have institutionalized the word preach. We, we, we think that there are certain people that are qualified or trained to preach, and we even call them preachers. Now, you may not consider me a preacher because I haven't screamed at you yet this morning. You know, I haven't gotten a big vein going here in my neck, and I haven't had to have a hanky to wipe my, you know, off my forehead, so I haven't preached yet. But the point of the matter is that different people preach different ways. But the most important thing to understand is that we're all preachers, whether you happen to have gone to seminary or not. Because you don't obey the Great Commission from a seminary. You obey the Great Commission every time you walk out the door of your house. And we're all included in these marching orders. Because the word preach in Greek simply means to tell someone something they've never heard before. And of course the context is the gospel, the good news. Now we're not supposed to go out into the world next week and tell people bad news. Like you're a stinking, rotten, filthy, pagan sinner. That's not good news. You say, well, I'd never say that to somebody. We just act like it. There's nothing self-righteous about preaching. Preaching isn't about point, pointing out people's errors or problems. Preaching is about giving people good news. We've heard a lot of good news here already this morning before I ever talked. God loves us. He cares about us. He's with us. He's committed to us. He'll never leave us. That's the kind of stuff we need to be telling people. And every time we do it, yeah, we're preaching. So we're all preachers. And we all have different looking pulpits. Your pulpit might be a desk. Your pulpit might be a workbench. Your pulpit might be a bassinet. Your pulpit might be a lawnmower. I don't know. But that's your pulpit. And your message is your life. It's not a four-point or three-point sermon. It's just who you are. And the way you do what you do. That's our message the good news of Jesus that has transformed our lives. So go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, and whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is pretty serious business. And every time I read a scripture like that, I think, how many people do I know? How many people do I consider good friends, that because I've somehow managed to keep my mouth shut about the most important news that there is on the planet, that they stand condemned right now. And I'm waltzing merrily into heaven here. And I have to think about that and say, how willing am I to be, how willing am I to be a martyr, someone that's that is going to cost me something to bear witness of my faith in order to save a person from hell? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Otherwise, we become one of those Lady Clairol Christians that only our hairdresser knows for sure, you know? Where did I get that from? I wasn't even going to say that. It comes, that comes from about 30 years ago, I think. Some of you probably don't even know who Lady Clairol is, but I remember that somewhere. 
Now, you realize that, you know, you're, you're dealing with an elderly gentleman here today, don't you? You know, the reason I'm not up on the platform is that I'd probably stumble on the stairs. And if I fell down, you'd think I was slain in the spirit and leave me there. When I really needed some help up. I had him turn down the lights because I can't see that well when they're bright. And now I'm giving you illustrations that are 30 or 40 years old. So bear with me for a few more minutes, would you? Okay, good. So these are the instructions of Jesus. Let's summarize them. Let's not. Okay, here they are, be endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. Be witnesses in ever-increasing dimension. This would be the time to be taking notes, by the way, if you, if you are in the habit of taking notes. And if you, as I said before, if you're not in the habit of taking notes, pretend you're taking notes, and it'll make me feel better. <laughs> be endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. Where are you with that? Because we're talking obedience here. My one word definition of the word faith is obedience. If you believe in Jesus, then you will obey Jesus. If you don't believe in him, you will disobey him because his word isn't important. But if he's who he said he is, good grief, I better do what he says. It might be for my better good. So be endued with the power of the Spirit. Be witnesses in ever-increasing dimensions. Move in my authority and name. These are instructions. Make disciples. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Preach the gospel. And I told you that we can all do that. So I give you permission to be a preacher, even though I'm the one with the credentials here. And then this amazing promise that he throws in with all of these instructions, and by the way, I'll be with you every step of the way. That sounds like a deal. I think I could do that with his help. I can't do any of that on my own. And then it happened. Ten more days passed, about a week and a half. The disciples hung around Jerusalem. They pondered these instructions. And then this day occurred, this birthday of the church that we call Pentecost. And we read about it. And on that day, when it came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Well, that was quite a party. Wow. So as we read that, brief summary of this amazing event, there's mentioned in this text three inaugural signs. This was the inauguration day of the church. This is a big day. And there's three things that occurred in that text that we need to understand. Number one, there was a rushing mighty wind. Now it's interesting that we classic Pentecostals, if we have any classic Pentecostals here in the room, uh, we, we look at these three inaugural signs and we say that one of them, the speaking in tongues, that has to happen to prove that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the classic position. But you don't need the wind and you don't need the fire, but you need the tongues. And I've often wondered why we put all this emphasis on the tongues and didn't say you also have to have a little Bunsen burner going over your head in order to prove that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've got to hear some wind in the room. But we somehow dropped those and hung on to one of them. 
But we need to look at this text in its wholeness. Why did these things occur? And there's the answers to the question. And these people knew exactly what was going on. First of all, this wind, which is a universal symbol of, uh, of, of just a boundless power, unstoppable power. You can't stop the wind. You don't know where it comes from, and you can't stop it. You just experience it. And it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is ever-present, just like the air. And he is boundless in his power. He can reach any corner. Sometimes it's a violent wind. Sometimes it's a soft wind. But he can penetrate and profoundly influence anything, anywhere. And that's the Holy Spirit that was being given to us that day. And then we have these tongues of fire. An odd kind of a supernatural experience, but do you understand that everybody in that room who saw that that day understood exactly what that meant because they had been taught all their lives as Jews that when the presence of the Holy Spirit was actually in the tabernacle, actually in the temple, there was a pillar of fire over it. It was a symbol of the presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you'd have been one of the children of Israel out in the wilderness during that period of time when there was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day over the tabernacle out in the middle of the camp. Let's say you were having a bad day. Let's say you were having a day when you think God forgot about you. Let's say you were having a day when you felt powerless. Ever had days like that? But all you had to do is just pull back the flap of your stinking tent and look up in the air. Here's this thing burning there. It probably made your day. All of a sudden you remembered, God is with us. Well, the Lord wants us to know that he is with us. Just like he was in that tabernacle, just like he was in that temple, he lives in you today. And while you can't see that tongue of fire over your head, if your spiritual eyes could be opened right now, I believe you'd see it. Because the Holy Spirit lives here. And then this amazing phenomenon of speaking in tongues. And, of course, that's a, an amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. But we're not to confuse the day of Pentecost and its inaugural signs with the gift of tongues or any of the gifts. I'd love to talk to you hours about that. It's one of my favorite subjects is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And with regards to speaking in tongues, to me it's the most normative, natural thing that a man or a woman could have in their life as a devotional uh, margin of grace in God. And I kind of sometimes feel like the Apostle Paul, when he was trying to straighten out the, first, the Corinthians about their misuse of this gift, and he, he prefaced all that by saying, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. You guys are screwing it up, but this is an authentic, sane, sound, sensitive work of God that needs to be a part of your life. But you need to get this straightened out. So for me to make the emphasis I'm making right now is not in any way, shape, or form meant to de-emphasize the importance of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including speaking in tongues. These gifts are for today. But in this case, in this inaugural context, the occurrence of this and the resulting witness that took place as these people were speaking in tongues. Because if you read the passage, it says that the people overheard them and understood them, what? Glorifying God in their own languages. And it's a picture of the, of the message of the gospel, the inclusive nature that God wants all people in all tongues and all tribes and all nations, not just Jews, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so these three terms give us the DNA of the church on its inaugural day. Did you ever see that before? Think about this. It's amazing. It'll help you understand the true ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through your life. So here's the big question. What will we do personally 
and appropriately to respond to these instructions from our Savior. I gave you the list. Some of you wrote it down. Some of you pretended that you wrote it down. Some of you didn't write it down. But I've made my point. I've made my case. Jesus left his followers with instructions. How are you responding to his instructions? How are you finding the grace to obey rather than to question what he's called us all to do? And I must say that he's called us all to do these things. This is not just for a special clergy class of people. Because there is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. Religion has put it there, but God never intended it. This is all of our work. These are the marching orders for all of us. So what will we do to personally and appropriately respond? Because your response will be different than mine. And that's the beauty of God. He's so diverse in the way that he uses us all. What time is it? I've lost complete track of time. Is it three, four? What is it? Okay, I need to be done now. I said I'd be done by 11.30. I love to talk about this stuff. Are you enjoying it? Good. More importantly, are you learning something? That, that's really what I am most interested in. Yeah, good. So... What, how will we respond to that? That's the question I'd leave you with this morning because I, I can't dictate that to any of you. As much as I'd like to say, okay, bam, bam, let's sit you down here and take care of these things, dun, 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 just click them off. I can't do that. You know, I learned a long time ago, 45 years of pastoring, you know, the, the metaphor of pastoring as a shepherd with sheep, well, it isn't like that. Actually, what it's like is herding cats. <laughs> <laughs> And that's fine. I love cats. But they kind of do things when they want to do it. You know what I mean? It's just not, you can tell a sheep exactly what to do. But you can't tell a cat what to do. No, no. And, and I can't tell you what to do. But I can sure give you some options here. And they all come out of God's word. And I just want to conclude my talk by showing you this interesting little illustration and tell you a story. Because these three um, illustrations on the screen um, represent three places in my journey to the foot of the cross where significant decisions of obedience have been made on my part. And the first, the first one up there, what had happened to that? Because it was, there it is. I'm going to lay this down now, okay? The first one up on the top there, that, that's a piece of carpeting, a green carpet. It reminds me of the carpeting on the floor of the living room of the house where I spent the first six years of my life on 49th Street in Oakland, California. And in the living room of our house there, sitting on my mother's lap, she led me to Jesus when I was five years old. And I've never forgotten it. I can take you back to that house. It still exists. Every time we're in Oakland, I drive by it. It's probably over 100 years old now. But inside that house is a room where Jim Hayford accepted Jesus through the witness of his mother, which, by the way, is the way, the way I believe everybody's supposed to receive Jesus, but they don't. It's from their mother and father. And that's where Jesus came into my life when I was just five years of age. The next picture in the middle is sawdust. Because it was in a tabernacle in Spencer Lake, Wisconsin, when I was 13 years old. At a camp where I knelt on a sawdust floor and asked for and received the baptism and fullness of the Holy Spirit. When I was 13... All I really cared about was sports, starting to be interested in girls. But from that day forward, my life began to shift to where there was a 
tremendous interest in the things of God. I can't explain it all to you right now. But it was a, it was a line in the sand for me. The Bible came alive to me after that. And then the third picture there is, is a tile floor, a linoleum tile floor that represents a floor that still exists in a building, again at a campground in Sonora, California, where as a 16-year-old, without any shadow of a doubt, I know that the Lord invited me to follow a call into full-time ministry for the rest of my life. Every once in a while, I'm invited to go back to that particular camp to teach or to preach. And I always visit the old tabernacle, which isn't even used anymore for that type of thing, and visit the square in the tile where God called me to the ministry. It's an altar in my life. I was 16. And I don't remember God calling me to write books or to pastor churches or to go to Israel, or to be a professor, or any of the things that my wife life has wound up being. I just remember Jesus giving me an overwhelming burden for the lost, and for the least, and the last. And it propelled my life in a direction that was appropriate for me. Not necessarily appropriate for you. Your response to the Great Commission and the instructions of Jesus is not supposed to look like mine or like Betsy's or like Kurt's or like Julie's. It's, it's supposed to look like yours. But I'm going to tell you that the Lord wants to save you if you're not saved. And I'm going to invite the pastor up here now to tell you about that. He wants you to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And there's so many things that some of you are trying to accomplish spiritually without that aid and without those gifts that it's frustrating you. And he wants you all to experience a personal call into the ministry. It may not look professional or vocational. But he has something for you to do to expand his kingdom that only you can do. And these are the ways that people obey the instructions of Jesus. Let me pray for you now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity this morning to speak to this lovely group of people. Thank you for allowing Betsy and I to worship with them today. And we thank you for our good and precious friends, their pastors, and that we can share with them in what you've called them to do here. I thank you for the friends that I see in this congregation, many who have even called me their pastor. But Lord, most of all, I pray that for each and every person in this room who has listened to this message, that the Holy Spirit would seal it into their hearts and that we would begin to ask ourselves personally, without any condemnation, these questions. How am I responding? to the instructions of Jesus. How is Pentecost being celebrated in my life? In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord. Reach down in front of you, would you? First of all, thank you, Jim. Thank you, love you. Reach down in front and grab these cups. Take this cup in which is the bread which is his body broken for us, which is to say that our lives were broken and that God is the one who is healing them continually. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm just going to take a minute and do exactly what Jim asked me to do, which is I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray for a second before we take this and I want you to respond. If you are here and you do not know him or as Jim likes to say and said for 45 years to great prophet, if you want to get right with God now, if you want to get right with him, then this is your moment. So take it. Raise your hand. Get my attention. Let him know that you care about this. Eyes closed. and That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
Thank you, Lord. This is the moment. It's between you and God. You just want to ask him to come in and to be the Lord of your life. That's what he's wanting to do. That's what he's waiting to do. That's what he is excited to do. That fire is right here in this room. And he wants to come and to light up your life. And secondly, in Jesus' holy and precious name, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is your, also your moment. Just raise your hand. Raise your voice. Ask him to baptize you. Believe in faith that what you ask, he will do. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, if this is, when I say baptized in the Holy Spirit, I mean the whole thing, right? Speaking in tongues, moving in power, allowing him to move through you to do his will through you as we've been talking about. If this is you, raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Just, just as you raise that, just believe in your heart that he has done what you have asked. We're going to take this communion to seal it in a moment, but this is a moment of faith no less than salvation. And lastly, really important here, as we're the first two, if you are here and you want a calling on your life, the truth is every single person here has one. Every single person. If you don't know what that is, raise your hand. I see that. Just keep them up and just ask the Lord right now, all three of them. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you for saving us. Thank you for bringing us into oneness with you. Thank you for making us new that we might be your expression, your image of God in the world. Conform us to your image. Bring us into your relationship. Smother us with your love until we get to be the people that you have made us to be. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Even though those who have been, God, re-empower, reinvigorate, cause tongues to become such a natural, wonderful, beautiful, not kooky, weird, incredible blessing of God as we've talked about many times. But God, just, we just ask you now, Lord, to make it that thing in our lives which you desire. Thank you, God. And also, God, empower us that we might be your instruments in your world for your will. In Jesus' holy and precious name. And lastly, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, all of us would ask you, Call us. Make known our calling. Make known the purposes and plans that you have for us, the things to which you have called us, which will express themselves in every way imaginable, but which it will all be you doing your will through us, which will be the most wonderful, fun, enjoyable, taxing, challenging, growing, magnificent, incredible growing thing that any of us have ever experienced. God, move us in our calling. We recognize that in salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and calling, we have all fallen short of the glory of God or the fullness that you have for us. We've stolen from ourselves. We've broken our lives. Take your finger now and put it in that cup and just break it around this room. We recognize that we have broken our lives. We recognize that Jesus Christ is on the cross to make us whole. So take this cup together, would you? And now in Jesus' holy and precious name, in this other cup is the life that you have already purchased for us 2,000 years ago. In fullness, in all the things we've been talking about. We recognize they're already there. We just have to step into them. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we take this cup saying, God, your will be done in our lives, in fullness, in glory, by your Spirit. Take together, would you please? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jim asked me to do that altar call, and so I'm obeying him. <laughs> Gladly so. 
Ushers, thanks for coming forward. This is your moment to say thank you, God. Honestly, that's what an offering is. That's what a tithe is. It's a way of saying thank you, God. So would you do me a favor? Would you thank him heartily, lovingly, beautifully? Measure properly. Give unto him who has given so much unto us. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, take this offering and do your will. Take this offering and know that we are asking you not just to take the money and do the work with it, but to take our lives and do your even greater work. We pour into you as an act of faith that in Jesus' holy and precious name, your fullness would be known. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.